Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? The Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to the slightly delayed episode 35, wherein Graham McMillan and myself do battle with the odd recording levels of my new headset, captured live for you in newly patented ARG audio. Apart from the miracle of ARG audio, we also have discussions on Fear Itself number one, the upcoming Flashpoint, and critical re-examination of Fraction and Fairies Thor, Paul Friedrich's Onion Head Monster Catastrophic, and we also answer listener questions on Twitter. We hope you enjoy it, appreciate your patience while we continue to work out the recording kinks, and we thank you for listening. Jeff, it has to be said, I wish dearly that I knew the lyrics to Bust a Move. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, wouldn't it be awesome if you called up and for no reason whatsoever I just went into Bust a Move? But secondly, it's really been in my head the last few days. <laughs> it's driving me insane. <laughs> Bust a move, it has to be said, as you might say, is an absolutely awesome one one of like one of the first great hip hop pop songs, you know? I, I completely missed Bust a Move the first time around and really only got to know it after I came to America. Really? Uh in part in part because Kate loves Bust a Move so much. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, the other day, we were in the gym, and we're both working out, and, you know, we both got our personal trainer now, and, and, you know, so we're doing what our personal trainer told us to do, and we're both, I think it's fair to say, kind of exhausted by what we're doing. Yes. And Busta Move comes on in the gym, and honestly, you should have seen Kate, it was like she was re-energized, just <laughs> from start that song. <laughs> and she was having, she's just like, I love this song. <laughs> And I'm sure you just laughed and said, I know. Exactly. I was like, that's great. And that, it was a weird, like, R&B uh, Pandora station or something they had on. Uh-huh. So they did that, and they did No Dignity by Blackstreet. And uh-huh. something else that was just, like, a classic song that you don't really hear that often anymore. But when you hear it, you're like, this is great. Why do I not even own this? It's true. It's so true. I actually like No Diggity by Black Street quite a lot as well. Oh, it's spectacular. No Diggity also. Um, when I was in, in college, I had a friend, uh, uh, like my best friend, um, was not into basically anything that wasn't white boys with guitars. Uh, that was his thing, okay? Um, and like, But only like specific white boys with guitars. So, for example, Oasis were terrible. He could not get into Oasis at all. Um but like Smiths or Suede or Pulp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but No Addicted by Black Street was like one of these songs that is so infectious. I <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I hardly uh, second that emotion. That's, uh, that is very, very true. And very great. Uh, well, my goodness. So it seems like we've got a very busy hour and a half cut out for us. Do we? I, well, I would think so, because uh, you asked for... Um... I asked for a question, but I didn't get a lot of questions. Okay, that's maybe a relief. Uh, and then I had a few things, of course, that I wanted to talk about and and, and pick your brain over, because I'm sure by now you've read Fear Itself, whereas I myself have not. Yes? Yeah, I have. I actually read it this morning. Ah, see, see, there we go. So that's that'll be a rousing opener right there. Do you wanna do you wanna tell me what you thought? Fear itself is what happens when Mark Miller somehow becomes a slightly better writer, not significantly, just slightly better writer, but decides that what he really wants to do 
is write Final Crisis as if it has been rewritten by Glenn Beck. <laughs> um, it is it is simultaneously entertaining and appallingly bad. Um, in part because the relevance mm-hmm. uh, is just <laughs> exceptionally unsubtle. I mean, mind-bogglingly, I, I almost feel like I was blinded by the lack of subtlety. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the preview that, that is online about the, the family that are packing up because there's no jobs, because they're coming to get your jobs. And that's like a two-page scene. Have you seen it? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, it is. They're like, you should start locking your door. And like, But the best part is the day they're talking about is the Asgardians. Um, but no, it's 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 they're, they're really... talking about the Asgardians. Yeah. Um, no, it's 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 kind of terrible. Like it starts off with uh, what I'm guessing. I mean, it's definitely an analog for building the mosque at Ground Zero, mm-hmm. and it happens in Manhattan. However, the hole that that uh, Steve Rogers is protecting, if that was Ground Zero in the Marvel Universe, it was like. I don't know. It looks more like Galactus's footprint than Ground Zero. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, a, a dent in the ground. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but you've got these people, like, protesting something, and then all of a sudden, a, a policeman gets too nervous, and he throws tear gas into the crowd, and it's a riot! And Captain America's like, no, nothing can stop this. And it's just... It, that's the level of the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? It, it's... I'm trying to find, like, specific pages that I, I can... Well, I, I hate to I hate to totally get off topic, but let me say that if the first three pages of like Fear itself had open had started with like um, a doorbell ringing and a guy opening a door, and there's like three ass guardians offering to like clean his gutters or something. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that would be spectacular! Um, I, I, six copies of that instantly. I well, would do, do you want me to spoil the story for you? Um, you know, I eh, now probably go and pick it up. I'm, I'm well known. Uh, what the hell? Well, he, okay, here's the thing. It actually, because Steve Eminem, Steve Eminem, a name mm-hmm. I find really hard to say, uh, is penciling it, and Laura Martin's coloring it. It looks great. You, Stuart I mean, Eminem, right? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Did I sorry, Steve? you said Steve Eminem. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, hmm. I'm thinking of Steve. Um, McNeil. yeah. For a second, who is drawing the, the cat book? Um, yeah, Stuart Eminem is drawing, and so it looks wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you know, if, if you're one of the people who can buy a book for the art alone, mm-hmm. you would you would not be wasting your money. Uh. Uh, but it's just, I mean, okay. There's Steve Rogers says things like it was chaos, people just screaming at each other's throats, and I couldn't stop it. Which is followed by Iron Man saying, Steve, buddy, don't take this the wrong way, but, well, Captain America doesn't come with the same cash he had once did, and you're not even that anymore. Wow. Yeah, seriously. Um, it then has the entire Tony Stark's plan to stop people being afraid, quote-unquote, <laughs> um, is that they'll build a new city for the Asgardians in Broxton, because Asgard collapsed at the end of um, Siege. Oh, right. Sorry, the beginning of Siege. That was the beginning of Siege. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that'll bring everyone together, because it'll give them jobs. When he makes this announcement, okay? Uh-huh. This, uh, this is my favorite line of the entire issue. He says at a press conference, when things were at their most dire, a madman brought a city built for gods crashing to Earth. 
As far as metaphors go, it's right on the nose. <laughs> I love that. I love that he just outright calls out Brian Michael Bendis. Whether he means to or not, he really does. I think that's hilarious. Um, but then he goes, there's so much anxiety in the air these days. Fear, desolation, uncertainty, doubts. And here is this castle in ashes strewn across our hard land. I mean, talk about on the nose. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, I went that's why it's Odin, because Odin is, I don't know if you know this now, and I've been told on Twitter that, you know, this is intentional. I shouldn't be upset about mischaracterization. O- Odin is now a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so Odin then picks a fight with the Watcher. Um, and then... As to who picks... has better eyesight, because that would be kind of awesome. No, he's just like, basically, what are you doing here? Fuck you. <laughs> really, that's about it. Um, he then picks a fight with Thor, and it's like, we're all going home. And that's, that's the end of Fear Itself, number one. Wow, that that's the end of Fear Itself, number one? That's kind yeah. of... Yeah, he has a fight with his son. Uh-huh. Which is just like, I mean, again... I, I keep saying this on Twitter, and everyone's like, well, he's always been like that. Odin and Bias has never been such a dick. Well, he's, I, been cr- he's been crotchety, but essentially he's always been like, but I love you, son. And in yes. this case, he's literally just like, fuck you, you ungrateful <laughs> little cunt. I mean, he's he's really, really, really... <laughs> no shit. And Thor's just as bad. Thor's like, you one-eyed bastard. See how sick. He says that. That's actually later dialogue. That really? Oh, yeah. boy. Wow. The characters have never acted like this before. Mm-hmm. I agree. I um, agree. I just have to say, as somebody who was, who, when you said on Twitter, I think Al from House to Astonish chipped in, as did I, I do think that Cranky Odin is is kind of a, a serious necessity. But yeah, outright Dick Odin, no, not maybe not so much. I, also, I so, something else that is particularly outright Dick Odin about him, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that he fights with Thor about mm-hmm. is that Thor likes humans too much, and humans are dicks. <laughs> Which, you know, makes a lot of sense, considering as uh, David Brothers went out on Twitter, he made Thor into a human to yes. teach humility. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of good about face there. <laughs> I really you're a dick. Um, yeah. So, so that's the end of fear itself. Um, yeah, it's it's. What it's also not, sounds kind of underwhelming, frankly. I mean, you know, the whole thing is like it is actually bizarrely fun. Mm-hmm. Despite me saying all of that, like it's better than Siege. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a the, kind of a low bar to clear. Yeah, I know, but still, I'll I'll take that because um, it's better than Siege. It's full of. It's definitely my production trying way too hard. Uh, uh-huh. It's full of dialogue. It's just far too on the nose. Like the last night line of the issue is Steve Rogers saying, "The gods left us, Spider Man. We're on our own," which is like really. <laughs> in many ways, it feels like uh, Fraction trying to do uh, Final Crisis and really trying to do Morrison. Right. Because Morrison has dialogue that's really on the nose, and but also really overblown. Right. Um, but it just doesn't work. And it definitely doesn't work when you're also trying to make points about the real world or, or pretend that you're playing in the real world. Right. Um, right. So it's this weird hodgepodge of of complete melodrama mm-hmm. that thinks it's making an important point. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it thinks it's making a real point about the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, got, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but I basically was like, what the fuck? 
because I was on Twitter earlier today, and someone was like, "Oh yeah, it's because I said that um, the hammers were a metaphor for my precious subtlety." <laughs> and someone was like, "No, the hammers are a metaphor for my precious daddy issues." You know, obviously doing a callback to the fact that I'm like that wrecked obsessed with daddy issues. So not only does Thor fight Odin in this issue, but the villain of the piece is the Red Skull's daughter, who I swear to God spends the entire issue talking to her dad. <laughs> like, it's like, Daddy, see what I'm doing now? It's like, oh my God. He's, at this point, he's taunting me. At this point, it's so That's right. trying to write the most insane Daddy issue comic in the world. Mm, well, you know, there's still a couple issues to go, so we'll see where it goes from here. But that's uh, that's really funny. That's uh... but uh, So yeah, it's, it's a really weird thing, like... Ultimately, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Douglas Wolcover said the, exactly the right thing to me when because he read it first, mm-hmm. and he said it's better than I feared, but worse than I hoped. <laughs> and that—that's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as it could be, but it's also not really good. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, but it, it looks lovely. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, so, yeah, that 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 almost seems like. I sort of feel like that is the bar for the superhero event, almost. You know what I mean? It's like kind of like okay, it's not going to be good, but if it's pretty and it's entertaining, you know, it seems about the best that we can hope for. So, uh, you know, and I, I don't think that that's entirely true. I think that's maybe a little pessimistic, but certainly the current crop have been pretty. Um, you know, I, I haven't really technically followed a lot of them, so. But yeah, I, I'll be curious as to whether or not I end up. I, you know, it's like last week I was sort of like, eh, maybe I'll pick up the Book of the Skull, and you're like, new no, Ixnay. No, no, put this way, it's much better than Book of the Skull. Well, yes, exactly, much better than Book of the Skull. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's it's one of these things. If you took the, if you actually just don't read the, essentially Captain America scenes, the the real world scenes, mm-hmm. then you've got an issue of Thor that's better than Fraction's Thor so, run so far. Uh-huh. Um, and if the book was only the Captain America scenes, I would just be like laughing and also telling everyone not to waste their money. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's 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 really like a book of two halves. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if he does a better job at pulling those together. I guess you know. I don't think he is. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think- <laughs> it's only because like the previews we've seen of what's coming up. Um, and the, the whole, the other thing that the people keep pointing out online, and it's entirely true, is the idea of the worthy and the idea of the different hammers is very much Jeff Johnson's Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. That these seven hammers fall to earth and have incredible power, and you've got to got to get them all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's 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 Black Lanterns all over again. I, I, you know, I would not be surprised if at some point there's some sort of like collect the hammers promotion. Yes. It goes along with this. Yeah. Well, actually, I did see, I think I think it was uh, Jason on, on Twitter was like, you know, if if Marvel had, had followed in DC suit and, like, had issued, like, hammers with each issue of Fear itself, he's like, I totally would have picked them, picked them up, you know. But no, no promo, you know, no promo hammers, at least at this point, so. Well, let's wait and see what the sales are for the first couple of months. If they start dropping, don't expect to don't be surprised if you don't see. <laughs> you too can get, you know, blah blah blah's hammer. <laughs> Did you actually make up a name there, or was that just blah blah? No, I just I just said blah blah blah. Okay, because it actually no, I, I, like... the, re- 
the reason yes. I said that is they actually um, sin the, the Red Skull's daughter gets one of the hammers, but it's actually attached to a specific name. So that all the hammers have names. Ah, I see. Oh, I see. So, right. Huh, yeah, this sounds... Uh, that sounds kind of... I don't know. The whole thing sounds not particularly original, I guess. I don't know. Oh, it's, it really oh, it's, it's stunningly unoriginal. <laughs> I mean, really appallingly unoriginal. Jeez. Wow. Um, well. But, you know, I mean, it really is Civil War meets... Uh, Civil War meets Glenn Beck meets Jeff Johns, actually, now that I think about it. Right. Well, the thing that that's kind of interesting is that I, I sort of does it feel because you mentioned it feels like two different books. Do you think this was like a Thor storyline that Fraction sort of, you know, Fraction and Marvel decided to sort of conflate into a a, a line wide event? Do you oh think? no 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 no! This is this is because um, if any, if the, the basis for the event is anywhere, it's in Captain America. Um, but yeah, it's it just. No, I quite believe all the all the interviews about they asked us for an event and we came up with this. Like this, this feels this feels very artificial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If only because, like, it starts off with this riot in the middle of Manhattan, and it's like nowhere in no other Marvel book have has the public been this nervous about anything. Do you right. know what I mean? Like all of a sudden from zero, it's like yes, everyone's crazy afraid. It's like what? <laughs> Since when? Where? What? That, when, you know, this hasn't been in any book. It's not even been in Thor. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you think right. he could? He at least could build up to it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's come from nowhere. Ooh. Ooh. Um, well, so yeah, it's, it's quite clearly like you know we need the event. This is an event. It's a big idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a shame. That's uh, that's really a shame. Because now that you mention, I mean. Fractions working on Thor and Iron Man and Brubaker, you know, who contributed to it, is working on Captain America. Those are three pretty massive titles. In theory, they could have steered, built up to this. If but not only were. that, Thor and Iron Man both take place in Broxton, which is mm-hmm. where Asgard is. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is where the majority of Fear Self number one is set. Wow, really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you would you would really think then that that really does seem a little... Um, uh, uh, artificial, as you would say. Yeah. Huh. But you know, eh. eh. Was it? It's, was there? Uh, yes. But I'm still more excited about this, and this is stunning to me that I am about Flashpoint. I still think think this is more of a basis for an event that I would read than Flashpoint. I was I was pretty excited about Flashpoint until all the tie-ins hit. Yeah, and exactly. Then, that yeah. was that was the point where I was like, I. You know, no. <laughs> right, exactly. Buy Flashpoint. I mean, I would probably get Flashpoint the book, mm-hmm. but the idea of 20 times is just mind-numbing. To yeah, me. yeah. That, that I will, as, as well it should be. I mean, it, it really doesn't doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. Um, I, I mean, it does, but in the worst sort of like, like uh, uh, if it doesn't blow up in their face, if if that doesn't backfire, that oversaturation, I'll be mightily surprised. So, and the other thing is, and I I wish no ill will on anyone except I'm about to wish ill will on someone. If it just, <laughs> if it doesn't blow up in their face, I'll be disappointed. I kind of want this to go wrong so that someone there is like, oh, this is not a good idea. This is not a sustainable business model. Right. 
Well, and that's it. It's 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 kind of like playing, I don't know, hot potato with a grenade. I, I kind of hope that it blows up in the publisher's hands as opposed to the retailer's hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm let's face it, it probably won't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the nature of the business is more often than not that uh, that potato ends up in the retailer's hands um, when, when things go horribly wrong. So, yeah, cheery. Cheery, cheery. Um, so, so talking about um, Fraction Star, I should tell it, because yes. I've been complaining about Fraction Star all the way through. Yes. Um, I I reread his entire run this weekend, in part because I was just like, this ending is appallingly bad. Right. Uh, and I kind of was like, you know, I want to reread the whole thing and see if it still feels as terrible in context. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, it does. <laughs> However, I realized while rereading, I think I'm giving too much blame to Fraction. Mm. I think Fairy is a really big problem with the series. Interesting. Because I realized, because of the final issue, that I think Fairy is doing one of these things where he's not drawing what he's told to. Really? Do you think? The the last issue has this thing where um, Thor is riding a blood colossus. Probably Carla Hoffman was, like, screaming in excitement (laughs) at that point. Um, And the art shows the blood colossus basically being climbed by the enemy soldiers. Uh-huh. Okay? And some Blood Colossus kneels down. Right. The dialogue is talking as if Thor is somehow in mortal danger because of this. But there's nothing in the art that shows this. Hmm. Okay? And then there's a caption that's essentially like, I live! And that makes no sense, given what you're seeing, because there's no reason to think Thor is dead. Mm-hmm. All you've seen is he's riding this Blood Colossus, and the Blood Colossus kneels down. Wow. And that made me think, huh, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And then I was rereading the whole run, and there's an entire sequence where this new Doctor character tries to get the attention of Jane Foster, and mm-hmm. she she kicks him in the balls. Mm-hmm. The next time you see him, she apologizes for macing him. What? Which didn't happen. Wow. And, like, maybe it happened off-panel, but why uh-huh. would she do that when she's already kicked him in the balls? Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, So yeah, that yeah. was the part where I was like, I think Matt Fraction's writing things that Pascal Ferry just isn't drawing. And oh. if, you, if you approach it from that point of view, then maybe when Thor has his uh, full-paid splash of saying, Loki, I demand you to return, maybe there was something in there. Like, mm-hmm. there was a visual cue that would have right. explained why he returned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Maybe there would have been a visual cue to explain what happened with Odin. Yeah, yeah. And so I realized that I like it's still not tightly written at all. It's still very sloppily written. But it might not be that sloppily written. Right. And Ferry and Ralph Macchio, who's the editor, I think really deserve some of the blame for this being a really, not difficult to read, but very poor to read, a very poorly put together story. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of a kind of a big deal. I mean, back in the old days, like, you know, this, you know, A, this is what led to the classic um, overwriting of, you know, I don't know what, you know, pre-Stanley Marvel, where you'd have the caption explaining what was going on in the in, in the panel, just in case either A, it wasn't clear, or B, the artist decided to leave it out, you know? Mm-hmm. That very common thing of, like, as Superman flies over the air, he sees, you know, two workers in distress at a bridge, and usually he's thinking, there are two workers in distress at the bridge, and, you know... While he's looking at two workers in distress. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, because supposedly that was a, a hedge to make sure that if the artist somehow just went crazy off script... 
Um, you know, and then later, of course, you, you got the idea of Stan, like, pitching the, the ideas and co-plotting them out with the artists, having the artists develop the stories, and then Stan would, you know, apply uh, descriptions as necessary. Yeah, exactly. And really, upon rereading, I pretty much just felt this is, you know, this is not just Fraction's fault. Because before, I had pretty much just been like, Fraction's written shit here. Right. And I, I think that he's written poorly, and I think he's mm-hmm. not written a tight story. But I also think that Ferry has made him look worse mm-hmm. by just not doing what he's told. Right. I mean, right. The, the, the alternative is he is doing what he's told, and Fraction wrote an incredibly sloppy script. Right. Right. Or but the I, flip side I is, yeah. I don't think that's true. I, yeah. I don't think he, he wrote something that insane. Well, and it's fascinating to me because this also suggests that, it, I mean, if, if your theory is true, then that means this stuff is either coming back late enough that they feel that they can't fix it or adjust it. They just have to ship it. I mean, I, that's, that's got to be what happens because, I mean, they had a fill-in artist for half of the last issue. Right. There's right. got to have been problems with deadlines. Yeah, it, it, it must have been, and to, to the point where they just shipped it. You know, it's kind of fascinating. I remember at, I don't know, WonderCon oh, oh. one or two years ago, I think, where I, I was sitting in on the, the Fraction Brubaker panel or something, and I, I think somebody asked him about uh, how he felt about LaRocca's tendency to use actual people uh, or photo extensive photo reference for the people in Iron Man and, and Fraction just flat out said, I don't like it. I really don't like it. And I was kind of fascinated that there was kind of also this thing of like, you know, I, he didn't say Wait, wh- eh, what Was that Fraction? Because I remember Ellis definitely said that when the two of them were working together. Oh no, that was that was Mike Diodato he was talking about. Ellis, oh. Ellis was very clear about Mike, hating Mike Diodato's photo reference on Thunderbolts. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, uh, apparently Fraction didn't care for it either, but it's one of those things where it's, I'm fascinated. I mean, this is always the, <laughs> the the mainstream comics industry has so many dirty little secrets. I'm fascinated by the fact that, that an additional one appears to be that you can build your company around superstar writers slash architects, and yet they still can only have so much say in terms of who's drawing their work and what happens when it comes down the pike and it comes, comes out like ridiculously wrong. They kind of can't point fingers. They just kind of well, have to something say. else, something else about the timing. Think about the fact that fractions arc mm-hmm. fraction fairy were announced and then de-announced and, um, Gillen did a fill in arc for what? Six months. Yeah. It was before it actually tr- started. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was a long, so quite clearly, the scheduling in this was fucked. Right. Right. Yeah, it might have been one of those situations where they Ferry was turning art around so slowly, and who knows, maybe Fraction was a little behind on the scripts as well, and this led to a situation where they e- even after that it, that buy for time with the fill-in arc, when they started seeing enough of the pages coming together, they're like, you know what, it's too late. Like, the best we can do is try and mitigate this. And I'm sure they were probably, you know, editorial was probably getting promises that things would, the process would speed up or work better or something. But, wow, I'm I'm kind of fascinated to, to, that you sort of caught that stuff because it would be really interesting. It's one, it's one of those things that just you'll never see. Oh, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll never know. There'll never mm-hmm. be a, yeah. you know, yes, it just didn't work out. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be, his art was amazing and inspired me so much. I never, uh, yeah, it would have inspired me more if he stuck to what I'd written. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By inspired, I mean, I had to figure out ways to actually write around the fact that he wasn't giving me what I'd been asking for. So. Except he wasn't even writing around the ways, which is a real problem. Well, yeah. Like, I, can't, I can't believe that no one caught the, the part, the line about... Sorry for missing you. When that right. didn't happen, well, I, that, I really that's do what think, I'm yeah. like. The editor should have been like, "I will look back and see if that scene actually happened." Yeah, or else it's like it's too late. It's just got to go. We don't have time to change the line. No, but he, you know, but you can change how long does it take to change a line from you know, mace you to kick you in the balls, dude. I'm with you, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to extend your benefit of the doubt. Uh, I guess the. To it being a more complex situation as much as possible. But yeah, it does seem... I, I, I just worry that no one caught it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things when like, I kind so of bitch about like, editors. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just wanted to basically say, hey, Matt, you're not, you're not as bad as I was complaining last week. Unless you're, like, worse, but I don't think you are. <laughs> ah, the kind of apology that warms everyone's hearts. <laughs> Hey, have you have you been on the internet today to see the spoilers about uh, Brightest Day? Uh, no. Is it is it that I I sort of saw that yours where you said that Glenn Beck is the new Swamp Thing? I think that's about as close as I got. Which wasn't as good as my um, follow up. Whether the Glenn Beck was the villain about fear, the villain of fear itself. <laughs> see, <laughs> People seemed really excited about it, by the way, online. That one's more believable. That's the thing. I can totally uh, see people being like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I can see that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the Okay, the Brightest Day, because you're not reading Brightest Day. I can quite happily spoil this for you, right? Yes. Um, is, I, I is have that, to warn you, I might yeah. be very excited based on what I had said earlier that you kind of poo-pooed away. So. Oh, I, I think – I can't remember what you were his, but um, – they did a swerve that basically confirms what you were saying, but it's a hell of a swerve, which is the villain of the whole piece mm-hmm. is Swamp Thing. <laughs> oh, it's the villain. Uh... And the the protector of Earth have been looking for all along. Right. It's Ali Holland. Uh, okay, that's very, very different. Yeah, definitely. I was Mr. Like, ooh, Green Lantern's going to come back. I mean, Swamp Thing's going to come back. This is going to be the brightest day is going to bring back Swamp Thing. Oh, the, no, that, that's quite clearly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so part what, I got what right. It seems, but... What it seems to be is that um, Swamp Thing mm-hmm. has been corrupted by, or the whole green in general, has been corrupted by something they're calling the black. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, you know, Black Lantern's the whole shebang. Right. Um, and the only person who can bring balance and protect Earth is Alec Holland. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they're going to go back to, like, Line Wien's thing, where it's actually Alec Holland is Swamp Thing, not Swamp Thing used to think he was Alec Holland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, fuck you, Alan Moore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. really do. Uh, if only because... Swamp Thing for the longest time. Swamp Thing needs to get away from Alan Moore as much as Daredevil needs to get away from Frank Miller. Right. Because all you've had since then are people trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. and going nowhere. And it's quite clearly not working. It's like the authority got stuck with people trying to be Warren Ellis and Mark Miller. 
Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, characters have such a definitive run that everyone comes afterwards is just like, what if I just try and do the same thing? I try and recreate the same magic by recreating the same story. Um, <laughs> or to be fair to uh, to Brian K. Vaughn, doing something entirely different that everyone just flat out uh, hates. Yeah. 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 That's true. Um, no, so I, I actually kind of like this idea. I can see how a lot of Swamp Thing purists are going to be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we'll see. We'll see how it, it, you know, there may be some other balance between the two. I'm not sure if it's going to totally undo all of more stuff. Like, isn't it possible that there's. Oh, it doesn't undo it in that it all still happened. Right. It just resets the character. So Len Wayne's yeah. status quo as opposed to the status quo that Elmer set up with his second issue. Right. Right. Yeah, uh we'll see. I, I kind of think that it's I, I think it's a really fun little like hook to get people to, to pick up the issue or to be like, huh, you know, and let, I, I'm willing to give myself at least a one quarter pat on the back for, for sensing that that might be coming. But I do think that they're going to have to do some really interesting stuff because John's whole, well, you know, the rules are getting so arbitrary. I'm like, well, if they reset it so that Holland's, Holland's the swamp thing, it's like, is he going to still be trying on a quest to see if he can become human again? Or, you know what I mean? Like, it becomes that whole thing of like... Oh, no, I, I, I think it's going to be entirely different. I think they're actually going to set him up as, quote-unquote, protector of Earth. I think they're going to set him up as the entity that is in charge of protecting life on Earth. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he won't have the personal quest of, will I become human as much as he'll have the duty of right. I have to stop people killing things on Earth. <laughs> as you do. Which is great. Just, just comes up and a guy using a weed whacker and just smacks like, the crap out of him. Ignore me! Oh god, do you watch Venture Brothers? No. Venture Brothers, so Venture Brothers is doing reruns, and right now they're in the middle of the second season, which uh -huh. I think might be the the best episodes insofar as it's not getting bogged down by its own continuity yet, but it's right. also insanely funny. Right. Um, and so the episode that was just on has essentially like a Watcher type character. Uh -huh. Watcher looks more like a Ditko creation, like he's this crazy guy with like lots of arms and then you know a crazy headdress and everything. Right. But um, he's he's an observer, and he's an observer who talks through a voice box that sounds really echoey and staticky. Uh -huh. But literally, you make a comment and I go, "Ignore me!" <laughs> and so you have this character who like will literally appear in scenes and be like, "That looks like this." Ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time he just ignored me, Kate and I would just kill ourselves laughing. Especially because there's a scene where he finds a baby and he goes, It's an infant baby! Someone must have left it here and lifts it up and then says the baby, Ignore me! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I, you know, it's. it's... Seriously, the Venture Brothers. Especially season two, which has just said is some of the times. funniest, funniest, funniest writing yeah. ever on geeky subjects. Yeah. But season two of the Venture Brothers is like the thing you've always wanted, Jeff. Yeah. No, I know what you've said multiple times, and I swear, I will dig into that son of a bitch. Um, well, let's see here. It's April. Let's say, let's say, I, there's not that many episodes, right? Let's say 2012. <laughs> 
I should have already taken that. 2036, I figure. No, I, no, no, no. I, let's see if I can, let's see if I can get myself in and through them by, say, the end of next month. How about that? I mean, I made it through Veronica Mars after you saying, ooh, yeah, but, Jeff. Uh, but Veg Brothers isn't on Netflix, Jeff. No, I, I know that. I, I, I'm aware, but, uh, you know, I've got my devious means by which I mean, I don't want to admit to you the fact that I have friends who like lent me the first two seasons like a year ago that I still haven't watched. Okay, skip the first season. Right. I've watched uh, the first no, couple not, episodes. Not that it's, not, that not that it's yeah. not funny, because it is really funny, but second right. season is so much funnier. Yeah. So, yeah. So just just dive into the second season. Okay, I think that's what I'll do. I'll and like... start with the second episode, because the first episode, again, really funny, but actually ties up a lot of things from the first season. So just start with the second episode. I'll do my best, man. See, that's where things start getting complex. Where well, no, you people start, are you like, could, you could start at any point, but because you haven't watched it all, start with the second right. se- episode of right. the second season. Uh, okay. Second episode, second season. Perfect. Hmm. Well, I, I thought I would briefly talk about the, the two things that I read, one of which was a WonderCon purchase, uh, and the other one of which I thought was worth bringing up since we've both read it by now. Uh, the Stumptown graphic novel. Yes. Yeah, I thought that that would be uh, worth talking about because I picked up the first issue and quite liked it and then held off on all the other issues for the... Um, I guess the inevitable delays, I suppose. Yeah, the delays um, really kills it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which, which really hurt the momentum a lot. And it, it would have, in a way, I was thinking this might make a, would have made a, a good segue 10 minutes ago from, uh, f- you know, Fraction and Fairy's Thor, because I, I remember being at WonderCon where somebody had asked Rucka about the, the delays for Stumptown, and Rucka was like, you know, all I can say is I got my scripts on in on time. You know, so it's like, meh. So, um, yeah, the delays, which I, I'm assuming were probably art caused, uh, led me to take a pass on it. And then picking it up all in one piece and reading through it, I have to say that, um, A, I liked it, but B, me being, you know, Mr. Um, Prevaricator, uh, I, f- I found it a little underwhelming maybe I, I don't know like it was actually a very well done uh mystery book you know it was like reading the first novel in a in a mystery series with a character that you like yeah um, but i also felt that it was perhaps because of the necessity of driving the mystery i thought it was a little underpowered you know like the the best thing you kind of have going for it going for the series uh, apart from the fact that it is an actual genuine mystery mystery and it's you know tight and it has its turns is the main character Dex and yet I also felt that Rucka kind of well I think he took the gamble of sort of like okay I'm you know I've got this character with a strong voice but I'm I was impressed by at the end of the series how little I still knew about Dex or Dex's situation and arguably how much I kind of cared, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, the hook for her was not as strong as I would have liked to have felt, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, on, on the one hand, I think it's kind of that weird, if um, Stumptown continues and goes on and there's more books, uh, I can see where, you know, as we find out more about Dex and her situation and with her brother and family and all that sort of stuff, it, it sort of 
I don't know, um, comes together and you have more reasons to care. Sort of the typical sort of superhero ongoing, like, oh, I really care about this character, and you find out more and more about them as time goes on. I think that would work or had would have worked, but I feel as it is, as much as I enjoyed it, I also put it down feeling kind of hungry, you know, afterward. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely fair, but I also... I don't want to say it's intentional, but I think kind of it's intentional. I, I sometimes was set up as, a, as an ongoing series, right? Right. So, well, so when Rocket wrote it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was like, "And then I'll get in the second arc." Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and so there is kind of that thing of like, like if they do end up continuing it, I mean, is it is it in flux or is it, it it, no? It's, it's continuing. It, okay. He's he's already said like this is the name of the next arc. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what's going to happen. Right. So it's one of those situations where, like, two or three volumes down the road, I think it'll be, like, a phenomenally strong introductory volume that you can hand to somebody and be like, it's a great hook and keep going. But, you know, compared to some of the other antecedents that I think it, you know, roughly parallels, I think that it, it doesn't quite do its job as strongly. And like I, like you said, I think that's because of there was a strategy of intention at the beginning that didn't quite manage to um, that promise didn't get fulfilled like uh, right out the gate and consequently threw things off. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's kind of, but on the other hand, I enjoyed it. I thought I thought I did think the art was lovely. Um uh, you know, of course, very similar to, to Sean Phillips' work in, in Criminal, I think, which it's supposed to evoke. Um, how did you feel about its portrayal of, uh, of Portland? Uh, I think its portrayal of Portland is, I don't want to say spot on, but definitely I felt, I felt a sense of Portland in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are places, there are actual places where I literally recognize on the page. Right. Um, and so in that sense, it feels true to me. It also feels a little generic. Like, there's a lot of places, bits where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Portland. And also bits where it's like, this could be anywhere. Right. Well, and and I think that's what, uh, again, I sort of think that's what they're doing. And I, on the one hand, I think that was maybe a smart choice. On the other hand, I don't know. You know, Portland is such a potentially uh, rich area, I guess, uh, in terms of kind of the layers of culture that I felt that this was like, I'm surprised that Rucka chose to make essentially the most traditional venue of exploration of those, um, of some of those cultures. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I guess it's just as well that it wasn't, you know, utterly uh, hipster besotted, I think. Or, or you yeah, know. But I, I think that's, I think you can't do like the most Portland, Portland book because then you get Portlandia. Do you know what I mean? Like, I right. I live in Portland, and I find Portlandia kind of insufferable. Right. Well, but by contrast, I think that, you know, uh, clearly Bucko is uh, is trying to be a very Portland, Portland book. Um, and I think actually does a great job of, well, I mean, it helps that, that, that Bucko is just cartoonish enough that the that the the aspects of Portland that are slightly cartoony fit perfectly in that milieu. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Oh, I, I, th- I think Bucko is much more successfully, um, convincingly Portland. Yeah, yeah. Um, where I felt like that there was something that was kind of unique. Um, 
you know, because there is something that's very unique to Portland. Well, there's many things, of course, but I, I, I was kind of fascinated. That's another thing that I will be looking forward to seeing how Rucka handles or if Rucka decides to handle it similar to the way that he did in this first volume in the sense of, hey, this is, you know, there, there's there's gorgeous scenery, but really this kind of could be anywhere. Like, I know the specific hooks of the power corruption and, you know, where the gambling lies and, you know, where where the people drink, but, you know, but really you can transport huge chunks of this to anywhere, which admittedly is something that, that is in, can be enjoyable about mystery series. You know, like I'm very, I'm very torn because on the one half, like if you read something like, um, uh, you know, Ross McDonald, I think is a great example of somebody who is clearly telling very Southern California stories, you know, but manages to, to touch on, on themes that are so universally resonant that it, it carries really well. And I think you sort of get the best of both worlds. Um, you know, I, I'm sure as, as the series goes on, I'll learn various well-researched or great little historical doodles about Portland, but I'm not sure I'll ever quite get that same sense that of of being there. I suppose, you know. And yeah, uh, no, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that pans out. So, and I totally, I'm just going to say that there was a very long introduction by Matt Fraction that I, as soon as I read it, I swore that I would never talk about it so i think i'm just going to leave it at that and yet you did bring it up i did bring it up but only to mention <laughs> good, that i'm good not job no well, you know i i, I felt that that <laughs> the, was a reasonable the, compromise the funny part was when you started bringing it up i was like i hope we don't talk about this i don't want this to become like the map fraction slap podcast exactly exactly okay so we're in agreement but yeah so what, what was your other book let's just entirely skip past that the other book was what I picked up at WonderCon. It is called Onion Head Monster Catastrophic. By, oh my uh, god, what a great name! Isn't that wonderful? Uh, it is by Paul Friedrich. Uh, Matt Maxwell turned me on to the book and introduced me to Paul, who seems like a super great guy, who apparently is a friend of Jeff Parker's. And Onion Head Monster is uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a really great, pretty much a kids book of one page strips. Um, and it's it's kind of like if you'd managed to get Gary Panter to draw Jay Stevens scripts for a kid's comic, I suppose. You know, it's like a really fascinatingly scratchy, inky, but endearing, endearingly rough style about, well, the, f- the first half that I'm through is about a big onion head monster that is attacking a, 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 a city, a, an ant city basically. And what's been hilarious has been how the not very clever and pretty disorganized ants try to figure out a way to um, fight Onion Head Monster. So they'll build a giant robot. Actually, they'll build a robot and forget to make him a giant. Then they'll build a giant robot. And of course, the giant robot doesn't have legs or arms that move, and so it spends most of its time stumbling about, knocking things over. Um, <laughs> this sounds spectacular. It's kind of great. It's kind of great. And then after after that whole sequence, I, there's there's a whole nother sequence where Onion Head Monster um, ends up getting uh, claws put on his hands and falls in with a group of criminal lobsters. 
and becomes uh, becomes their mastermind, so-called mastermind. It's a great book. I think I think the way that that Matt described it, that I think is perfectly on point. Is if you sit down and and read Onion Head Monster Catastrophic on like the day that you absolutely are feeling the worst and lowest and maybe you know snake bit meanest about mankind, sit down and maybe after eight pages of this book, you will feel infinitely better. It is just a good, goofy, terrific read. So I, I'm a big fan. Where, where can we get this thing? I know want to buy it. Uh, I think the best place to go, because although he has an ISBN code, I bought it directly from him. Go to onionheadmonster.com. That's, of course, all one word, onionheadmonster.com, and see about buying the books. And you can probably read the script, strips online. It's a, it's a terrific read. I, I really, it's, you know, that and the, I take it back. The only other purchase that I bought at WonderCon was I bought a used copy for 50% off of um, Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel Volume 3, which is essentially all the Starlin issues of Captain Marvel, um, or Starlin drawn issues, I should say. Uh, and I, I've, you know, most of those issues I had way back when, but, uh, I have to say that Paul, Paul Friedrich's, uh, uh, onion head monster totally, totally helped to make the show. And I, I recommend it to everyone. Um, in fact, there's, there's, he's got a great t-shirt, which has, um, uh, this is basically with an evil scientist. I don't even know if this is Onion Head Monster. It can't be because it's a different outfit. But it's a mad scientist uh, who's saying, "Am I in the mood for evil or pie?" And I think that that's you know, I mean, that's a shirt to which we can all subscribe. You're like, so. that's all I really want. Yeah, exactly. Just the choice between the two. And I have evil to or pie reminds me very much of Cake or Death, the Eddie Izzard sketch. Oh yes, cake or death. I do. I do remember hearing that. That was that was pretty brilliant back in the day. Actually, Eddie Izzard's pretty brilliant. I really need to go on another jag of listening to his stuff. I, I um, found last night, and I'm telling you this to help you go on your jag. There is a new, as of last year, stand-up show on Netflix. Instance called oh, Live, really? called Live in Madison Square Garden. Oh my God! All right, let me write this down because that. Is... In fact, all, all the stand-up videos are on Netflix. Instance. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Fabulous. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go and search for him on that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's great. The, the few times I've listened to his stuff and I'm trying to think where, but I was like, he's, he's terrifyingly awesome. He really is. He's like one of the smartest guys and to shackle him to that format. I mean, he, he pretty much defines, you know, the, the epitome of the term too smart for the room in a way, you know, he's just brilliant. Um, so yes, Onion Head Monster, definitely recommend, uh, Captain Marvel Masterworks Volume 3, I'll let you know next week, and, um, and you can tell me about other books, or we can move on to Twitter, the question. Let's move on to Twitter questions, if only because I haven't actually read that much between last week's podcast and this week. <laughs> so I, besides, besides for yourself, I haven't read any books from this week. Right. Um, and so I'd really just be talking about the Secret Wars omnibus that I got from the library. Um, dun, 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 that's great! Like it's, ad- it's actually not. I remember Secret Wars being so much better as a kid. <laughs> oh, really? See, you were the, you must have been the right age. I was, I was like 10 when it came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, Which has you know, got to be awesome. Yeah, it's like, oh my god! And it was right. like the first time I'd even seen some of those characters. Right. 
I think I think it might have been like the first Ultron story I ever read. It's definitely the first Kang story. Mm-hmm. And they like get treated. Let's face it, they get treated really badly through the entire series. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. You know, I, and you know, it's kind of a shame because I was I was digging through all my comics to to assemble them for. God help me, you know, begin the process of, of selling some off. And so I had assembled a big pile of, of my Avengers comics from when I was a kid. And there's a run of Jim Shooter stuff, like from pretty much he takes over the book, I think, in the mid-150s and writes it through like 177, 178. He, of course, does the Korvac slash Michael saga, which is just fucking awesome or was when i read it i'd be very curious to reread the stuff and see how it holds up now, do, I, you, do you read jim shooter's blog no oh my god do, does he have a do blog you, that he's yeah because he the other day like i don't think enough people saw it it should have blown so many avengers fans minds he said that hank pym hitting the wasp was a, an art error Seriously, he's like, the way it was originally, initially written, mm-hmm. she was hit by accident when he was lashing out, not knowing she was there. And he was like, the way it was drawn, he just punched her. Right, he's facing her and back. Yeah, and he's like, that's not the way it was supposed to be. Wow. Um, I have no idea if I believe him or if it even matters at this point. I remember right. seeing that being like, holy shit. That's I, like the defining character trait of that poor bastard now, and it's a mistake. Right, right. And I'm not sure if I necessarily believe that, in a way, because as I recall, of course, the, I, I, unless he decides, unless Shooter decided to, and you'll you'll pardon, this is not an intentional pun, roll with the punches and build the trial of the Yellow Jacket around the mistake, as I recall, the storyline oh, very... The, oh, the Trial of the Yellow Jacket happens, like, way after that, and... Mm-hmm. I can I can believe it's a mistake because of the way that the story rolls out. Because it really does go, he punched her, no one really says anything about it for a while. Like, she's something like, I've got a black eye and no big deal. Um, right. And it's, like, maybe six or seven issues afterwards that all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like... So I can believe that, you know, the issue got out, he saw the art, and then he's like, I should really deal with this. Wow. Well, uh, and, and that, that certainly makes... Let, let's let's say that that certainly makes sense coming from the dude who like was not willing to let Jean Grey's Phoenix off the hook. Um, you know, I, I I think that makes a lot of sense in a way. So, um, which you're you're familiar with that whole yes. story side yeah, of the yes. story, right? Okay. Yes. Just want to make sure, and I'll assume that all the rest of the readers are up to speed too. But well, firstly, huh. they're listeners, <laughs> and secondly, I'm sure they are. <laughs> Oh, Graham, this is such a sad road that we're beginning down. (laughs) Okay, Twitter questions, quickly. Yes. Um, Adam Nave wants to know about the guilty purchases we we plan coming up, like the trade of Vision and Scarlet Witch or the Trial of the Flash. I've already said I will be buying the Trial of the Flash, right? Yes, you have. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would say that I will also be picking up the Trial of the Flash, uh, God, I had a really good guilty uh, pleasure that I had lined up that I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll probably pick up Blankety Blank. Um, if they ever do another Showcase Teen Titans, I'll pick that up in a second. I was rereading Showcase Teen Titans 2 last night and just marveling at the, the badness. 
Yeah, I, you know, when when I picked up this uh, this Captain Marvel Marvel Masterwork trade, it was in one of those like sort of terrifying um, uh, uh, retail booths at WonderCon, where it's just long box after long box after long box of trades that are fifty percent off. Oh, those and, are so dangerous for me. Uh, I I actually have to stop looking mm-hmm. at them because otherwise I'd be like. I know I I read this when I was a kid and thought it was terrible. I wonder if I still think it's terrible. It's it's fifty percent off. Like there needs to be an alarm that goes off in my head that's like it's probably still terrible. Don't pay any money for it. <laughs> I know because for me I'm like there have been times where I've picked up stuff because it's like oh, I'm too lazy to even go find it in the storage space. Um, but I, I did because I enjoyed Justice League of America Volume Five, the showcase. I started digging through looking for other JLA showcases, and I didn't find them. But I kept coming across a Jonah Hex showcase that I'm like, ooh, ah! It was really hard not to pick up because I've, as I've mentioned, I, I enjoyed Fleischer's work so much on Ghost Rider. It's been so, it was such a weird run that I'm kind of obsessed with the guy. I'd, I'd kind of like to like buy his Jonah Hex stuff and see what the fuck's going well, on there. But that's a, Is that not a cheap trade normally? Is that not like $13 or something? Well, see, yeah, exactly. So, so like 50%, 50% off. off like on, see, here's the thing. If it's under $10 and I really want it, I will mm-hmm. probably end up buying it. Uh, like $10, $10 is my limit. Right, right. Uh, that's, that's, that's good to know. Well, uh, the way I look at it is that those things are usually uh, cheap. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by how, and it may not end up happening, but I sort of have this like sort of dim hope that, that the showcases and the Marvel masterworks will just end up because, because they have no retail value whatsoever, just like end up in like Salvation Armies or like at kids hospitals or something like that. And there's going to be a whole generation of kids that sort of end up reading them, I guess, and being really warped by how odd these 70s comics are in many cases. Um, you know, because they really do. They're the closest thing I can think of to the way that, you know, Japanese uh, manga in, in Japan, these big, thick magazines every week, you know, people just throw those out because they're, you know, a good chunk of stuff gets collected and they just pile up so quickly since they're coming out weekly. I sort of half feel that this will be useful detritus somehow. Um, all of which is to say, I'm going to Green Apple today with Lauren. It would not surprise me if they're going to have the Jonah Hex there for like in the stupid cheap range. Oh, yeah. Frankly, it's it's going to be there for like $4 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's not there, there's a very good chance that it's sitting in Hibbs's sale bin for exactly that much as well, you know, because he, he trimmed back a whole bunch of his showcase and essential buying. He has a very slim two shelves now, and there's some, some oh, stuff. Oh, God, there. that just depresses me that I can't get to that. Cause I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure he'd have, like, Defenders. I'm sure he'd have Marvel Team. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, I think he God. did have a volume of See, Defenders. In that, there, yeah. that, God, that just depresses me. Although yeah. my bank balance probably loves me for not being there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, it, I'm the same way. In fact, when we started talking about the, you know, how we should have like a, uh, you know, Steve Gerber Defenders readoff, I think I actually picked up Essential. Yeah, I did Essential Defenders number two, volumes two and three, out of Hibbs's remainder box, basically. So I, I paid like, I don't know, like five dollars a piece for them or something. Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> 
so much. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's about the closest. I'm also dying to buy. I think I told you I've been on this like Dick Tracy like coveting jag, and IDW has released, or I suspect re-released, a volume called The Best of Dick Tracy that um, I, I really want to get my hands on. And if it's what I think it is, like a sampler of you know shortened pieces, um, I would totally pick that son of a bitch up. Um, I was kind of, I guess I wasn't surprised, but it was, I found it fascinating that IDW did not bring any of their Dick Tracy stuff to WonderCon. I just went up and asked them if they had the volume and they're like, we don't have any Dick Tracy at all. Um, maybe it's just not a thing. I mean, they had some great announcements there. So they're probably like, Hey, why don't you buy our existing versions of the Parker books before we put out the new ones? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Something like that, which I'm like, huh? Oh, that being said though, the, uh, for those who have the, the money on hand, the, uh, Elaine Lee, Mike Kaluta starstruck hardcover looks gorgeous. I mean, the, I, I, I would not be surprised. I mean, IDW's packaging in general is mm-hmm. ugly. Yeah, the the, the does not does not put out bad books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really don't. And the 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 color and the quality of the the pages. I'm not really much of a paper dude. Although I was kind of surprised when I bought the Day Tripper trade, which I bought is on my shelf and I haven't read. The quality of the paper is really cheap on it. Have you looked at the it's, Day Tripper it's trade? Not, is it just me? I I I I got a review copy. Um, it's the same paper that's in the the monthly book. It's it's really the, yeah it is. It's just that it seems thinner in trades. Yeah yeah yeah. On trades, it feels like I'm like I paid twenty bucks for this. This is a very feels like very cheap non slick paper. And I don't know if they chose it that way because otherwise they'd have to redo the color palette. But I have which no makes sense to yet. me. But I mean, it kind of it's it's interesting at this point. I kind of had this thing like, geez, I kind of wish I'd picked up the individual issues now. You know, you would have had the same paper. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but I would have, I think it would have suited the format more. Like, you know, like it kind of, like now I'm, as opposed to, you know, oh, it's a comic book. This feels like, huh, I, every time I look at it, I'm like, is it, is it because they like were trying to, to change, you know, save money on the, on the printing costs? You know, I, like you said, it was, it, I think there's, there are probably reasons, but I was really surprised and I had meant to ask you about it. So it kind of, it kind of helps. Um, uh yes so okay right question Dick Tracy. two yes mm-hmm. who is the most sympathetic villain in big two comics <laughs> you're not going to you're, are you going to include the other part of this question because i i've seen this question oh the the which one do you have a crush on yeah, yeah that's it yeah which that's one? A, that's a nice way of, of saying it yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you've it's, got to phrase it the way well what she actually said was yes who is the most sympathetic this is Amy, I should point this out. Um, yes. Who is the most sympathetic villain in Big Two Comics? Other comics. Not like pity sympathetic, but like, yeah, I do that sympathy. <laughs> and I asked if she meant do that as in I, I can empathize with their position. Or I went to that, I think I said something like, yes, Magneto's looking really hot today. <laughs> and she, she did ask. She did, she did agree that she wants to know which supervillain you'd sleep with. Uh, oh, that I would sleep with, that we would sleep with, not together. But no, no, like, no, 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 I, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I specifically said you, she's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I took myself out of that all together, thanks very much. Huh, well, see, whereas I, I was like, okay, I think that seems like a fair challenge. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, 
Okay. I, mean, I, well, think, I think any villain, any good villain, is going to be slightly sympathetic, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's our our sort of traditional tendency, right? You know. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, no, because there's mean, also villains who just aren't sympathetic at all, and like are caricatures, but are completely enjoyable on that level. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where I was like. I mean, there are characters that are kind of like. I don't know. Like, you know, for me, I'm a big fan of never sympathizing with the Joker, for example. And, and I think the Joker is probably one of my favorite villain. villain. I can think about <laughs> No, like, I, uh, my favorite villain mm-hmm. is Darkseid, and my favorite portrayal of Darkseid is in The Hunger Dogs, where I think he's, he's at his most sympathetic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I feel sort of very similar for that matter. Um, you know, I, I still love – and it's tough because I think the, the to me one of the big problems with comics having gone on for so long is the character – there are characters that I truly love. There are also, for the most part, characters that I'm kind of tired of seeing. Like – uh, again, the Joker's a good one. Unless you've got an exceptional handling of the Joker, I, I'm going to be incredibly bored by Yes, him. yes. But but he's also, I would have to say, one of my favorite characters. Doctor Doom, same thing. I think Doctor Doom is probably one of the most interesting characters um, there. Like, I've probably... Sp- I, I'm embarrassed to think about the amount of time... It, it confessed to the amount of time I've spent thinking about Doctor Doom. Um, but I... You know, uh, similarly, every time he shows up in a book now, I'm kind of like, ugh, really? You know, uh, and... So you probably hated FF number one, then. Uh, did, does he show up in FF? Oh, right, he does. I haven't picked up the book yet. I'm, I I should be getting it. I, he's, he's, I believe he's being added to the regular cast. Right. Judging by, judging by the infographic at the back. Right. Yeah, I think I think I had heard a rumor that that might be the case. We'll see. We'll see how Hickman handles him. Um... You know, I, I, I have a tendency. Yeah, I really have a tendency, frankly, to like. It's very rare that anyone kind of hits that sweet spot for me um, with Doom, and I think part of the problem is is that again, Doom had hit a point where. Do you remember that thing? That uh, thing. Ugh, there's there's the pun revealed already. Where like it, it was like an issue of what the or something where John Byrne does a spoof of the Fantastic Four. Is that the one where he's also got Superman in there? Maybe. Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's like, what it's what the issue too. Uh, I actually, there we go. I happen to know that offhand because that was not only my first issue of what the I read, but I want to say it might have been my first exposure to any John Byrne Fantastic Four. Wow, that's actually not a bad place to start. Although, so that is the one where he he the editor's note is is that you know from Byrne is is that the things dialogue is essentially impossible to parody. Yes. Yeah, at which I, I remember reading that, and that was such an eye-opener for me, and I'm like, oh my god, I think he's actually right about this. Uh, I, I sort of feel that's the same way with Doom. Like, Doom when he... Well, I, I, I feel if you're doing Doom right, then yeah, but what I've really, 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 really grown bored of is people trying to play Doom straight. Yeah. Mm. Or worse, people are trying to play Doom straight and for comedy at the same time. Whenever Bendis right. is Doom, it's yeah. horrendous. Yeah, Doom D- Bendis by Doom is probably the worst portrayal of Doom that I, I can remember seeing in a, a hugely long time. Uh, I I think it's really... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that you can do the character... You can still do the character seriously. You just have to... 
you have to ramp them up a little bit. Like I'm a little, you know, there's Bendis who of course tries to do it. And I think incorrectly where, like you said, he's playing to, to both sides of the house at once. Then there are the guys who are like, yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, show doom as kind of like, he's sort of the calm, cool headed master strategist, I guess, you know, and that kind of bores me too. Like, like doom is, is like an, is an arrogant dick, you know, and it, it that's like so important beyond all things. He's got to be an arrogant dick in a very sort of complex old European way. Like seriously, I don't know if this is anything you've ever done, but like I've gotten my ass kicked playing chess by like dudes who basically like old guys who will refuse to like after they beat you the first time, they'll refuse to even play you the second time because you're just that uninteresting kind of. No, the, I am that guy. <laughs> curse you Graham I hate your kind <laughs> um, that you know that's kind of that to me that's kind of the the appeal of Doom is Doom is you know every in fact I was reading a great New Yorker profile about the changing face of, of chess champions and just the way that those guys talk and think is such a classic example of, of to me, Doom when he works is is from a very specific school that you do not have to A, play as parody or B, sort of turn into well, he's actually the smartest guy in the room, but, you know happens to be wearing a set of uh, armor through a rather embarrassing set of circumstances. You know what I mean? Like, he's kind of Yes. I honestly wanted to say that you're reading a New York Times profile of Doctor Doom. Wouldn't that be great? Oh my god. I mean, I, frankly... I, like, at first I thought you were going to say the, the New York Times profile of Marvel, but a New York Times profile of Doom would be the greatest. You know what? Seriously, if someone wanted to, like, as a like as a dream project, if Marvel, like, ever wanted to give me, like, I don't know, like, 50,000 bucks so I could spend a year crafting a New Yorker issue that was like Marvel universe specific, I would like, I would write the hell out of that shit. You know what I mean? Like I would, I would go all out. Please Marvel, make this happen. I, <laughs> I, would. I, I, will, I would buy it. Ah, <laughs> uh, sadly, that means so little, I'm sure to, to Marvel these days. <laughs> yes. Hey, I, yeah, Marvel, Marvel and me, not, not the greatest of friends, shall we say. <laughs> You know, one of the things that I found kind of interesting was uh, about Tater Pie's question, Amy's question, is is that I did find myself kind of, uh, you know, nervously being like, hmm, which supervillain would I actually sleep with? And kind of like realizing, A, wow, there really are a lot of like, there's not a lot of female supervillains. Like, you'd really have to switch, you know, to the other team. You know what I mean? Like, if you're... What? Well, I, well, first of that... all, well, you're avoiding like the obvious ones. Then so you're avoiding like a Catwoman or Poison Ivy. Yeah, I think that's really kind of dull and obvious, right? Well, uh, well, uh, okay, so you could have Giganta, right? Uh, as she is called in Final Crisis, the Monster Woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds appealing. Uh... Uh, there's Veronica Kale, but no one apart from being Greg Rucker remember her, right? Uh, did you did you read Rucka's Wonder Woman? Uh, I didn't. She was introduced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, right. She was like the. She, she was then in fifty two. She then showed up. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's like the tough. Yeah, no. She's a tough businesswoman who mm-hmm. turned out to be insanely unstable. Right. Um. There's Star Sapphire. Mm-hmm. 
I like when you get to Marvel, I do think you're kind of screwed. Well, I, see, I, that's I, it. As I, as a Marvel guy, I'm kind of like, I mean, I like the closest thing because I was that you know I was thinking about this question. Like the closest I can think is, and it's not like I'd want to sleep with her, but the fact that now that the Red Skull's daughter, uh, Sin, is, um, you know, uh, visually deformed and utterly crazy means that she's not unlike other women that I've slept with in the past. So I, I'm, like, I'm like, I could sort of see myself kind of like being oh. able, like, I could maybe make that jump if there wasn't like a real heavy Nazi fixation. Um, okay, I'm just moving on to the next question now because that's no, like, no, no, no. That's, like think... no, that's like the perfect punchline to that. Okay. The next question is David Brother's saying favorite action scene in comics. Oh my god, which is kind of brutal. Like, I don't know. I, that that would be one that we would have to actually like play the Jeopardy music for. Do you know? Do you have an answer for that? I don't have an answer, but I can tell you it's probably a Kirby, just because I think Kirby got dynamism and design really well balanced in a way that yeah. I don't think any other artist did. I'm tempted to say it might be the God. What is it? Terrible fate of Turpin. The fate of terrible Turpin. Oh yeah, the, the... death of terrible Turpin. Whatever the the uh, Dan Turpin mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's Orion and Kalbach fighting for like an issue. Yeah, um, um, is really, yeah. really really good. Um, so maybe that. Yeah, I, I think I think Kirby would actually take a lot of the top um, spots for me. Also, the 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 scene that builds for like let's face it, I think the I think the glory boat sequence from from the new gods is oh yeah yeah awesome you know just just that whole scene where he like you know where the the monsters are approaching and he's built you know he's built actually built this glory boat fucking amazing i will say that um oh motherfucker i i've mentioned it before uh if not on the podcast and certainly in uh, savage critic um things uh, that giant size captain america number one which is just a collection of the you know ten page uh, Lee and Kirby stories that um, they were doing, uh, mm-hmm. which were pretty much when it was like Captain America first comes back. It's maybe like each one is like ten pages, and it's just an excuse for Captain America to get in a fight. Like uh, the one that I remember, which is kind of classic, is like the warden invites Captain America to come and check out the new uh, prison. Uh, security measures that he's built and it starts with Captain America inside the prison already and of course what's happened is the the prisoners have already taken over the prison the warden is actually a prisoner and they're going to take uh, Cap hostage. Oh come on that's awesome Isn't it great? And, And all Captain America does is proceed to kick ass for like 10 pages of just crowds of guys and that was pretty much it. it was, each sequence was story was some excuse to have Captain America fight like nine guys. There was like one time where he's he's alone in Avengers Mansion and a bunch of dudes from AIM like sneak in to try and take over Avengers Mansion because he's the weakest guy. And then he proceeds to like kick their ass. There's like a scene where he takes like a, a tea cart and like rams like one guy like down like like eight dudes deep, you know. And it's just Kirby. It's just Kirby fight scenes. And that that reprint issue that I think was 50 cents when it came out, I must have read that thing 37,000 goddamn times. So 
honestly, I, I would have to say, like, there's, I'm sure there's other action sequences that if I'm just, like, if I were to concentrate on, I know that Urasawa's done some action sequences that have just completely riveted me. You know, another sequence that's amazing uh, that I thought was one of the most unbelievably perfectly paced bits of things is, uh, in, uh, Miller and Mazzuccelli's Daredevil Born Again sequence where, um, Ben Urich goes to a prison uh, to, like, interview the prisoner, and the guard, like, pulls a gun and shoots the prisoner and starts struggling with, with Ben. And I thought that that was one of the most amazing action sequences that I'd, I'd ever seen, because uh, Miller and Mazzuccelli can't remember who they were riffing off of. It was a very clear, clear Euro influence. I'm tempted to say it was, like, Hugo Pratt or something, where the the gunshot is so regular the bam 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 you don't see the gun go off but even in the panels where you don't see the gun you see the sound effect and so when Uric and the guards start grappling and you hear the sound effect again it's just it's 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 kind of perfect storytelling um so those those would be my big recommendations for for action scenes i think um, he also wants to know who's your favorite bad character bad character like like a villain again or no, like I, a I, I think he means like a character who is not good a low quality character I, I'm really torn because I can think of all these like not popular characters I think right. first of all I have the no character is bad they're right. just badly written but also like all I don't think I like bad characters I think I like them because I think they're good if that makes sense <laughs> Well, you know, I, yeah, I do. Like, I have affection for I have affection for something like Batroc the Leaper, but I don't I don't like I don't really like them as a character. Like, I I think it's a funny gimmick. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's those characters that you feel that everyone thinks are bad that you think are awesome. I suppose you know what I mean, or that oh god, like, in that uh, case, like Martian Manhunter. Right, exactly. Right for you, yeah. Um, I will tell you the character I think is. At, like the bad, like my guilty pleasure character in comics is Deadpool. Um, because, really? yeah, yeah, because Deadpool is so clearly like he could not be a more blatant ripoff character. You know what I mean? It's oh, that's like true. every, every element about Deadpool is. Um, totally original, yeah. Yeah, utterly unoriginal, completely calculated, and because it was Rob Liefeld, like calculated by an idiot to boot. So, and yet, I have to say, that's that's what that I I really I enjoy him more and more. Like it kind of started, I think, somewhere around the time I was playing like the Marvel Ultimate Alliance video game, where he just ended up being a hilarious character, and. More and more, I find he's a character I completely enjoy. Did you ever read that really funny, um, I think it was a Joe Kelly World's Finest Annual, where it's yes. drawn by Ed McGinnis, and it's yes. essentially Deadpool in, uh, meets Superman and Batman? Yeah, and Deathstroke, which is the best part. Yes. Deadpool meets its own, like creation his own inspiration yeah his own inspiration right exactly another character that he was clearly blatantly ripped off from absolutely great absolutely great i mean so there's something about that character that i enjoy i don't enjoy it in the current like i will pick up 72 different titles with the character in it in fact i didn't even pick up deadpool max oh but... well you didn't miss anything with deadpool max did you see the cover the very cover of the last issue of deadpool team up 
No. Or else it was Deadpool and unemployment. And <laughs> It's uh, Deadpool in the pose of Captain America holding up Supergirl from the Crisis on Infinite Earths cover, but it's actually he's holding up like uh, Deadpool core and another Deadpool series. <laughs> and his caption is, come on guys, another series, you know I'm good for it. <laughs> so yeah, actually, I think when Deadpool works, and I mean, sometimes he can work in a, he's like a violent ambush bug, I suppose, you know, uh, I, I actually like the character. I, lo- I, I love the character, uh, what Remender's doing with him in X-Force, which technically isn't really doing anything with him. He's just being Deadpool. So Deadpool, terrible character, I think. And yet I thoroughly enjoy him and it, kind of my guilty pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Um, Rick Vance asks, Marvel begins releasing absolute volumes. What are your top five books to get done in the format? I, I think your head might have exploded. Exactly, one. exactly. Well, because Kirby's Captain America omnibus is about as close as I can get to sort of that like almost absolute volume type thing. I, I, I can think of one that will never happen. Uh, sure. I can probably Kirby's, two, several. Kirby's 2001. I would oh, yeah. love Kirby's 2001. Yeah. Kirby's 2001 would be great. Honestly, an absolute Jim Starlin where it's like Captain America and absolute Warlock, I guess. I don't know if they'd have enough volumes for it, but uh, enough issues to fill an absolute volume. But, oh my God, I really love that stuff. I well, mean, abs- absolutes are thin. Absolutes are like 12 issues. Well, yeah, exactly. So in that case, I mean, you could get that. You could get, uh, I mean, you know, my bucket list, I was sure I was going to die before I ever saw Don McGregor's, uh, you know, Jungle Rage, uh, Black Panther stuff collected. So the fact that there's an entire Marvel masterwork of that, I'm kind of fucking thrilled about. I wonder yeah, it's, I, it's kind of surreal. But, you, you, know, you, know what my, you know what mine would be, but IDW is doing it? The, oh, the yes. Thor, right. Thor, uh, uh, Simons and stuff, like oversized original art. Holy fucking shit, yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be kind of amazing. I that that was one where I have to admit I think I think my eyes kind of damply splatted against the inside of my glasses when I heard that be announced, you know. I just could not believe that that, that that's going to exist, you know. Cuz like you said, IDW just does not do does not do an ugly book, you know. So the the production values on it are going to be gorgeous. Well, have you seen the Rocketeer artist edition? Uh Yes. Yeah, I have. And, you know, I, I got to say, I, I'm kind of, I'm lukewarmish about it, but that's because I'm lukewarmish about the, the Rocketeer material. No, but I mean, like, the treatment they gave it. The, the, it's yeah, just, that was kind of amazing, a wasn't it? beautifully yeah. designed book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. That is true. So the idea of seeing that for Simon Sinsar? Wow. Yeah, that would be kind of amazing. I kind of, yeah. That one's, I have trouble wrapping my brain around. Um... But yeah, you know, put Steve Gerber on anything, basically, and throw that into an absolute edition, and Marvel would, would have my money. I totally... Yeah, g- g- give me some Engelhart Avengers. Oh, yeah, the Engelhart, Engelhart's Avengers and Engelhart's Captain America. I mean, you know, that's that's just brilliant. Yeah, especially the Engelhart's Avengers would be great, because there's so much stuff that sort of weaves in and out of the giant size Avengers, and the, yeah, no, that stuff... Ah, all heartbreaking. But interestingly enough, I wonder, like, if there's stuff from Marvel from the last five or six, you know, like, kind of the last ten years. Which... Yeah, I actually can't think of any. I was I... trying to think of something more recent. I was like, no. I mean, maybe more since X-Men, but... 
Yeah, Morrison's X Men. I mean, I definitely did buy the the X Men Omnibuy because I realized I wanted it in the larger sized version for that. Um, I don't. But that's about it. I mean, that's kind. Of, I mean, I lo- I loved Cassidy's w- work on Astonishing X Men, but I thought the returns were so diminishing that by the time they got to the end, I kind of I really didn't care. I was impressed by how little. I cared by the time the Astonishing X-Men wrapped up. So Yeah, it, it, it was... Um, it fell from grace pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a feather. You know what I mean? Like, it, the trajectory was um, downward all the way. It just took a while. Just just because it took them four years to get all the oh, issues. I've got a crazy suggestion. Mm-hmm. All of Catherine Eminem's Hellcat stuff. <laughs> The art on that was gorgeous. Oh, it was, it was, she did uh, a, a thing for Marvel Comic Presents with Stuart Eminem drawing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the David LaFuente stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be a lovely book. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I think that you could probably get away with doing the absolute runaways. Just Vaughn's entire... Uh, volume yeah. there. Yeah. That actually would be that would be an absolute volume that I'd consider buying, and that I think that they could probably sell. Apart from the fact that they're convinced that there's no audience out there for Runaways, because well done for completely fucking up your last successful franchise, Marvel. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, and in fact, Carla Hoffman at, at Nerd Brunch was complaining over the fact that she can't sell Runaways because they keep releasing them in like mismatched formats yes. and they don't and they're not numbered and it's impossible for I oh, know Marvel has completely completely fucked that up like yeah. they fucked it up as a monthly book when they put Terry Moore on it because people right. just dropped off and so when Catherine Nimmin came on with a really good run like mm-hmm. much better than Whedon's definitely the best it's been since Vaughn mm-hmm. it, it got four issues and then was canned yeah but then like the collections digests made sense and then all of a sudden they're like why don't we do it as hardcovers? Why don't we do it as paperbacks? Right. Like, seriously? Pick, pick one. Right. Well, and that's the thing that's amazing. It's like, pick one and then keep that in print. But the fact yeah. that they've had to hodgepodge against several different directions, it, it literally, it was, it was one of those great things of Nerd Brunch is seeing Carl Hoffman, who's incredibly, like, you know, passionate uh, about books and about comics that she sells. Like, you know, just sputtering at how frustrating it was that she could not sell these books that she clearly loves because Marvel's just fucking up, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of rough. So anyway, uh, we, we yeah. have, we have five minutes before you have to run and I'm going to okay. try and get through like three questions. So let's do these quickly. Right. Matt Maxwell says, why can't Dr. Strange work in the age of Harry Potter? That is a good question. Uh, um, do you because have yeah, Marvel's selling it to the wrong people. Well, uh, yes. Justin Ackland says, no, he doesn't. He's commenting by something else entirely. Uh, Michael Walker says, what's your opinion on the Cowboys and Aliens movie? I have to say I'm incredibly lukewarmish and underwhelming, uh, underwhelmed by it. I mean, do you have, have you changed your tune on it? I saw like one of the longer previews and I, I just think it, I, it, it, just, it looks, let's put it this way. I actually thought that it was a horrible idea, cynical idea for a comic. Then when I heard it was being made into a movie, I'm like, okay, I could see how that worked. Yeah, that, then, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, I could, I could see how you could do it. And then I looked at the trailer and I'm like, wow, they really fucked that up, didn't they? Like, they... <laughs> he also asked Star versus Hulk, who wins? Ooh. Well, the, the classic answer is, um, 
the readers. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say whoever writer wants to, but the, the, the real answer is whoever's got the movie coming out this year. Uh, and Jordan Smith says, what's well, to stop comic publishers from launching a cheap paper comics line using neglected characters at a 150 price? Um, bop, 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 bop. Well, there's so many answers to that. <laughs> there are. And I, I think the, I think the honest one is, is because, um, uh, Smitty had asked this, had asked a variation on this a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I will come back to this. And I, I apologize for not getting to it. But as far as I, I can tell, three minutes. Yeah, I've got three minutes. The, 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 I guess the simplest, shortest answer is fell, you know, fell shows, I think the perfect catch 22, of, of the difficulty in the marketplace is that in in an already crowded marketplace, if you don't have someone on the book that car- that readers don't want to read, uh, that readers are interested in, it doesn't matter what you price it at, and it's not going to sell. If you have a, a, a concept that you want and or a creator that readers want to read, um, at a dollar fifty a price, it's undervalued. You know what I mean? Like this was the this you know Hibbs's big thing about Fell was like, you know, a Warren Ellis crime comic. You can sell that for two ninety nine. You don't have to price it a dollar ninety nine. And people were like, no, but it's selling all these copies, and people never gotten into it before. And it's like that might be true, but it, it's part of the reason why comic books disappeared off the Seven Eleven newsstands. Is even when you were keeping the prices down, that meant that the profit that you could get from the publishers is nothing you know what i mean um that the that the that the retail the retailer actually makes so little money on a 75 cent comic when he can be selling a three dollar and fifty cent copy of um i don't know maxim or i I mean and that's a low price for maxim but you know what i mean no no I, i know what you mean so i think ultimately the problem is at some point there's going to be uh a marketplace that will emerge, which is why I think people were excited about the idea of, of using digital. Um, but having stuff actually on the news price when you can read it, the di- the difference between what it's worth for the retailer to sell it and what the perceived value is on the part of the customer is so disparate that I feel it's a catch-22. That's much better than my answer. <laughs> what was your answer? Nobody wants to do it, really. <laughs> publishers, well, right. publishers want to make more money. Comic readers don't want cheap paper, and there is no such thing as cheap paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, newsprint isn't that much cheaper than, than the other paper these days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, it's nobody wants to do it, and it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say that it kills me that um, I I tried to hold out as long as possible, but I ended up buying I. I have it on the pull list, so I'm going to be getting a hard copy of Bakuman Volume 4 anyway. But because Viz released it, something excruciating, like two weeks early. I thought it was only a week or so early, but according to Amazon, Bakuman Volume 4 isn't out until like May 3rd. Maybe it'll hit direct comic stores sooner than that. I basically just caved and bought the digital version of that. Um, And... I don't honestly know if Viz can afford to continue to price things a, a volume of manga for four ninety nine digitally, or if it's just to get us all hooked. But that was that was a pretty satisfying read. I have to admit, I love Bakuman. Totally recommend it to everyone. The fact that, but I tried to hold out as long as I could so that I could actually support 
you know, it in the stores and not talk about it beforehand. You know? Whereas I was like, wait, there's a digital version? I'm totally going to buy that. <laughs> well, you should. If you can pick, I think they still have the first version, of, first volume of Bakuman for, I want to say 99 cents or maybe a dollar ninety nine. Oh, crap, really? Yeah, I think so. They had been doing their, Viz had been doing their promotions earlier this month where it was like all their first volumes were priced super cheap. Where the hell is my iPad so I could actually check this out? Um, it's in my bag. Uh, so, yeah. So the first volume is stupid cheap, and then the rest of the volumes on their on on the iPad reader are four ninety nine. And of course, volume two is where Bakuman really, really, really kicked my ass. So I'm like, oh, you got to keep reading until then. But even if you wanted to sample it, I think the fact that they're having not just sample chapters, but an entire first volume, which is, you know, a hundred some odd pages for, well, let's see here. Uh, you know, the great thing is, is because I, because I have it, they won't tell me how much it costs. They just say, you know, free. you have it. Yeah, it does yeah exactly. Yeah. But yeah, volumes are four ninety nine, and then the, the, God, why are they... Okay, there's the free volume. You know, I think their 99 cent sale is over, or their buck 99 sale. So it's Damn back it. to being... Sorry, man. If it comes up again, I'll let you know. Yeah, big tease. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I picked up Bakuman for four ninety nine and read volume four. Loved it. And I know that that's what people keep hoping, is, is that at some point we'll get readers and you can start selling books again you know, for a super low rate because you don't have to worry about the retailer uh, disparity. But even then, you've still got, you're still having some serious, crazy problems, as as you know, um, now that Apple's insisting on getting 30% and, you know, it, it, unless you're running reprint, unless you're running licensed material like manga, it's going to be very difficult, you know. I mean, on the other hand, what would happen if Marvel turned around and started putting out their essentials you know, on on the iPad Digital in black and white for like six ninety nine. Well, first of all, everyone would complain because right. they're like it's digital. Why do I have to get black and white? Secondly, there is a school of thought that that's, there's an upper limit to how long a document can read before people eventually just switch off and not go back to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Also, thirdly, it's Marvel. They would never sell that at six ninety. No, of course not. Sell day and day in comics at three ninety nine digitally. Oh, I know, I know. What the and and more to the point, they they sell you know Where's the point? amazing buy fantasy them. number fifteen at a, at you know a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, know, whether or not people buy them. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's kind of a shame. I I wish that those that that whole process somehow got turned around, but I don't think. I think honestly, comics have. Comics have a lot going for them right now in the sense of I think there's never been, you know, stronger advocates for the form, you know, now than ever. And even even with superhero comics, um, I just don't know if the marketplace is going to hold out long enough. Um, well, at least the superhero marketplace, I sometimes wonder by the time more people start coming into the field to check it out in dribs and drabs. I don't, there's not enough clear entryways and there's not enough, there's just so many problems to fix there. So is, is what I'm saying in my, on that happy note, (laughs) 
<laughs> you say that so often. It's so sad. It's like it always ends with Jeff's like somewhat reserved pronouncements of doom, and it's like, okay, next week, woo! <laughs> now that everything is returned to normal, Jeff is promising doom for the comic industry. <laughs> it's time for us to take our leave of you, listeners. Jeff's going to go and cry in the corner and weep at the, about the death of comics. Whereas I'm going to try and kill comics that little bit more by writing. But... <laughs> kill it good, Graham. Kill it good. <laughs> that is the difference between Jeff and I. <laughs> right there in a nutshell.